Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Write Medicine, a bi-weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. I'm a former nurse and an academic who's now a writer and researcher creating and evaluating education content for health professionals. I also teach medical writers how to enrich their continuing medical education writing niche. If your work involves planning, designing, delivering, or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. Scientific data can be challenging to understand. Visually presenting information helps ensure that data are clear and compelling, helping us to understand. And as we process images far more rapidly than text, Visual communication saves time and allows more effective data retention, creating a powerful tool in our education repertoire. On this episode of Write Medicine, I'm joined by Babel Shah and Karen Roy, co-founders of Infograph Ed, a company delivering engaging visual materials in healthcare. We talk about the power of visual communications in a healthcare setting, how to develop a visual mindset and current trends in visual communications. We talk about the design process and how to create effective visual communication. Join us. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Right Medicine. And I'm here today with Karen Roy and Babel Shah of Infograph Ed. And we're going to talk about visual communication in continuing education for health professionals. Welcome, Karen and Babel. It's so good to see you. You too, Alex. Always a pleasure. Great to be here. I'm glad that we're able to spend some time together. So let's start by talking about who you are and what you do, a little bit about the work that you do. Hi, I'm Babel Shah. I am president and co-founder at InfoGraphed. I've been here for something like seven years. And at InfoGraphed, I oversee the creative and scientific team. So we are a group of creatives as well as scientists. A lot of us have that mixed left-right brain mix. And we create infographics in the healthcare space. And I'm Karen. I'm a CEO, and I've also been here from for seven years, which made me smile because it's actually Bavel and I have been here from day one because we founded the company together. My responsibilities here at the company are overseeing the business strategy and administration side of things, as well as co-developing new assets and projects for our clients alongside Bavel and the creative team. I love a good story about women founding companies and getting into business with each other. Can you talk a little bit about how you find each other? Sure. My my brief background is I had a long career in the pharmaceutical industry, which culminated in me finding my way into a CME department, the grant supporter side of things. And that's actually where Bava and I met. So she came in as a lead of one of our franchise areas in CME. And we worked alongside each other for a number of years. And I was always impressed by Bavel's insights and her ability to get to the point, 
get to the crux of the matter when we were putting strategic plans together and so forth. I actually left the company after a merger and was consulting for a while and then got the opportunity to present data at a conference, which I'll let Bubble tell you that story of, because in parallel, she had also exited the pharmaceutical industry and was exploring her artistic passions. So I was showing some of my artistic side of things at a trade show in New York City. It was textiles. And Karen was helping me out at this trade show. And it was free. (laughs) She was helping me out for free. And I said to her, hey, Karen, let me repay you for this amazing favor that you've done. What can I do? Let's barter services. She said, of course, I have the exact thing in mind, a project where I've been asked to present my data at a medical meeting. And can you do the poster for it? And I said, yeah, great. Love to. But can I do it in my way? Can I do it with the use of infographics? And Karen said, yep, have at it. Go for it. And the rest is history because I think, Karen, you had a really great presentation and reaction to that poster. Yeah, there was, I think, and I was going to present really compelling data. And I had lots of people coming up to talk to me. But the only question they had was, who did your poster? (laughs) (laughs) So we realized then that there was something in it. And I remember calling Bobble from the car on the way home from the conference saying, let's talk about this. Let's consider this further. So we jumped in and formed the company and it started small. But now, as Bobble said, we have a whole team working with us and our client base has expanded from CME providers into other stakeholders in the healthcare space too. I love that you just, you jumped right in. You saw the success, you saw the effectiveness of visual communication, and you went for it. What is it that that you find or that is really compelling about visual information? Because it really pulls people in a way that um, text doesn't. Obviously, in a poster situation where you're, you're looking at something at a distance, but even in, in the kind of small smaller screen or smaller formats as well, we're drawn to visual information. So why? So for me, creating art has always been a passion of mine. It's a hobby that I do outside of work, quote unquote. And as we just mentioned, it was partially something I was doing as a job for a while there after leaving the pharma industry. Like art, very passionate about it. In my PhD and postdoc days, I used to always struggled to follow scientific presentations that my peers gave on their data. They were full of words and a lot of data and often quite hard to follow and understand. So for my own presentations, I always used to add as many visuals and mini animations as I could, and they always landed really well. So it has been something that's always been in the back of how I have presented in the past. So about 10 years ago, I started seeing these new, at the time, infographics popping up everywhere, being used to explain things in marketing, breaking down complex information. And here's a way that you can quickly, easily understand information, but they're presented in a fun way to look at. 
and I just hit the mark. I thought, this is great. This is what we need to understand complex information. So I started looking at their use in healthcare and realized actually they're not at the time used in healthcare at all. So when Karen came to me with this poster presentation, I jumped at the chance to use them in that format and in that setting. Do you get any pushback at all from clients or other people in the space about the use of visual information for what is often very serious and very intense data? We do sometimes get pushback. Often it's faculty who have maybe only seen visual information in the marketing side of things and more text-based information where it's more scientific, as it were. But I have to say, we've done a pretty good job at sometimes turning people around because when they see how we present the information and how we break up complex pieces into small chunks, then they start to say, oh, I understand now why this is presented visually in this way, broken down. And then they'll use those same visuals that we may have created for a CME activity in their lecture series or something like that. And they'll keep coming back to them and saying, hey, this has been great. This is something that works and people are understanding it better. To answer your question, for sure, there's pushback. And I'd like to think it's initially and then people do change them. I think people who do pushback can fall into the trap of thinking we're dumbing down the science or oversimplifying. So they're kind of fusing simplification with clarification or the clarity that a well-designed visual or infographic can bring. And I'm old enough to remember when we were working with 35 mil slides. And I remember working (laughs) with presenters who, who thought that using animations and videos was very promotional and education and training needed to be very staid and boring looking, quite frankly, and just taking charts and tables from a manuscript and sticking them on a slide or was the way to go. So I think we're outgrowing that. But as Bava said, once people have worked with us and get that experience, they can see that they can have, we're maintaining the integrity of the scientific information just as much as presenting it in a more appealing way. And the proof of the pudding is definitely in the eating. You get great response to the mm-hmm. the material that you create. So what does it take then to create effective visual communication? So I would say that the right skill set is key in creating effective visual and medical education or any type of healthcare information. So just as you have different types of writers who are best at different types of writing, regulatory writing versus patient-oriented writing, it's the same thing with visual approach. And really, I have to say, you don't have to be an artist, but the key skills that we're looking for here is being able to think visually. So for me, I when I'm reading a passage or trying to listen to something and understanding it, I will see it play out in my head. And if it is very complex, I'll often draw it out on a piece of paper. Taking notes is always visual for me, always lots of arrows, connections, boxes and shapes and that sort of thing. And so that visual thinking approach is key. 
The next thing I think which is also key is to understand the subject matter as much as possible. So if you understand it really well, you're going to be able to visualize it as best as you can. So what is the message? What are you showing or explaining? Do you need to break it up into more pieces, layer the information in a in an order, for example, or and so on. And so once you start understanding what those key messages of your information are, then those visuals that you might have started to see in the first place all start to fall in place. And then really the graphics and making it look pretty is the last part of it. And that's the part that you can then potentially work with somebody else to pass on your ideas and thoughts to someone. So another key piece I think that needs to be mentioned is keeping things simple. If a visual is really complex and you're asking someone to spend time decoding a complex visual, then that's no different really to a long piece of text and decoding that. So think about the simplicity of your visual. Maybe even break that up into small chunks. And that's something we do a lot of, chunking information and layering it so that you're presenting only a small piece of information at a time is a key in our approach. And then we also can add in interactivity sometimes so that the learner is unveiling information one piece at a time when they're ready to move on to that next piece. So on click of a button, they see the next piece of information play out in front of them. So those are all some key pieces on creating good infographics. And of course, you're absolutely talking the language of instructional designers in terms of layering and chunking and micro learning. And I love that expression you too. One is visual thinking. So I want to dig into that just a little bit, but also that notion of unveiling the information and the action and interactivity that is embedded in that word. There's a lot of there's a lot of action there to peel away different layers of, of meaning and understanding. I think it's really interesting. And the visual thinking piece, as you were talking, I was thinking I'm a heavy reader. I've always loved reading and I love text, but I'm also conscious that whenever I'm reading something, I'm always looking for the pictures. <laughs> Where are the pictures? And I love to look for the images first. And I wonder how common it, and as you described that process of creating some sort of visual as you're reading text, I wonder how common that is. Because I feel like I do that too. I'm, I'm linking things in my head and I'm mapping things out as I'm reading information. Is that a thing? <laughs> is that more common than we might believe it to be? I know. think so. Absolutely. When Baba and I started talking about this way back, I would say, you're the artist. I was programmed to think I wasn't creative simply because I wasn't good at art at school, because I couldn't draw. And as Baba explained how she works through information, I can, I do that as well. I'm very much the motor effort of drawing things out and drawing arrows between things and my notes and connecting them really reinforces that connectivity or the dependency between pieces of content. So I think people don't have to worry that I'm not creative or I'm not artistic, quote unquote, but just a lot of it is about organization. 
and flow. Would you agree, Bavel? It's like that's at the heart of it. And then getting to it, to the design sides, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And it's that beautiful connection of, you said it earlier, Bavel, left and right brain thinking. So that there is a holistic, it's not a, it's a holistic approach to developing content to really support, to support learning. And that's going to become increasingly important or has become increasingly important in continuing education for health professionals because they have so much to learn frequently, repeatedly, on the run. What do you see as the rationale for taking a visual or infographics-based approach to communicating biomedical or clinical information, especially for, for learners, for health professionals who are engaged in continuing education? So I think from the learner's perspective, we've touched on us already, it's one main advantage is efficiency. So we know it takes far less time to consume information in a visual manner rather than navigating through a lot of text. And as Bavel said, designing content in a way that makes it easier reduces the cognitive load for them to try and figure out what's going on. We've all seen the terribly designed slide and usually the presenter says, I hope you can see this at the back of the room or let me walk you through it. And I feel if you have to introduce your work with that disclaimer, then maybe take a look at how you put it together in the first place. I know. Sorry, this is a bit of a mess, but... Yes, there's a lot here to see. Yes. And and people get very fixated on things like slide count when three slides that build on each other, you can probably get through them faster than one badly designed slide. So the design effort put behind how we construct our graphics make it easier. So there's that efficiency for our learners. Because you say learners of today are overburdened with information coming at them from everywhere. So it's a very efficient way to communicate today. But also, as we were talking about the engagement levels, so by creating opportunities for learners to interact with data, and we do a lot of that now in our uh, CME programs, allowing them to engage directly with the content, they can click around, they can explore the information. It's really putting them in the driving seat and allowing them to navigate to what they want to unveil or uncover as well. As adult learners, we're we're thinking about answering the questions we have for ourselves. So contrary to a slide deck or a video where the story is linear and predetermined by the author, in in an interactive format where there's more so-called open navigation, the learner can get to the content they care about the most more quickly. And isn't that all we should worry about. It also allows us to provide content that's amenable to people at different levels. Maybe someone less familiar with the content would go through the background information where a specialist or an expert just wants to jump to what is the latest and how do I incorporate this into my practice. So think just how it's presented and the choices it provides to a learner as well as how easy we make it for them to consume the information is important. And then importantly today, because we work in a data-centric world as well, with interactivity, we can also track what they're looking at. 
and provide that information back to the designers of the education. So we see maybe what were the most popular elements of an educational module, what attracted them the most. So then that loop is completed with providing the information back, maybe uncovering some ongoing needs as well. And the other population I think we should talk about in, in as a learner in today's world is patients. And you know, more and more now, leaders of continuing education for healthcare professionals are also providing education designed for patient consumption. So whether that's direct to patient or clinician delivered patient educational material, there's lots of options there for this visual approach. Less heavy text clear imagery, make it easier for patients to consume the information as well. And as Bavel is always reminding me, as we develop more and more new ways of doing it, the man on the street, if you will, is very tech savvy these days. They want to, they're looking for things on their smartphones. They want to be able to pick up something that's quick easy to understand, and then maybe easy to share with others as well. So all of that combined, I think, makes the case for using visuals for that audience as well. Absolutely. In that process of layering, is there still a role for text then? Do you work with writers who create textual content that links to the visual information that you're providing or designing? Yeah. For sure. Of course, well-written text to accompany those visuals is key. And we work with scientists in our group who have that science background and who can assimilate, read text, read papers, I should say, publications, and put it together to form the right text accompanying the visuals. So that's important. We also take into account instructional design, as you mentioned, Alex, and the kinds of things that we have to point out for the learner on an interactive infographic, CME activity, for example. So instructional text is very carefully thought through as well in that text context that you mentioned. And you mentioned messages, and people often hear that word in the context of marketing, but it's an important word in the context of learning as well, because the learner needs to be able to walk away with the key messages um, as they're working through the material that you're providing. Can you talk just a little bit about the, the kind of production or the design process in terms of who's involved in, in, what does that look like when you're beginning a project that is going to be either completely visual or, or play a supporting part? Yeah, of course. One of the accompanying materials that we have provided goes through what we call our four-step process. And our science designers, as we call them, are trained in this process. So the way we work is we have somebody who has a scientific background who can understand that information very carefully to go through the content that we are provided with from our clients, for example. And they will then strip it down, as it were, to pull out just the main points, the main pieces of information. Once you start doing that, you can very quickly start to see what those messages are. And yeah, it's a marketing term, but what we use that word for is to say, what is the what is the main point behind this one piece of information, this one chart, what is it saying, this table, what is the main takeaway there? 
And then our science designers will look through all that information and come up with what we call message titles. And that's a very important thing that we use because it's the message behind the visual. So even if you're not going to bother looking at it and you have five minutes to look at this thing, you can read. If reading is your thing, read the message title and you're done. You've got at least 50% of the information. So that's a big part of what we do. So the science designers pull these pieces together with these items in place, come up with ideas for visualization, put together a lot of the architecture behind how we do these things. So navigation, if it's interactive and that sort of thing, how information is going to flow from one piece to the other, what buttons are going to be used where. And then it gets passed to a designer who may or may not be a science designer, and then they basically make it look really great. And then maybe we'll code it if it's interactive, or maybe that's the end of the project. So that's our process, as it were. So we do have science visual thinkers right from the start in the process thinking of those messages along the way. Back to Karen's point earlier about not necessarily seeing yourself as a creative person and Karen and I know I'm a little bit older than both of you but we're within that kind of cohort almost but for me too that that labeling at school you're a creative person or a scientific person or none of these (laughs) what how can people think about themselves if people who are interested in working in this kind of area how can they start to think about themselves as visual thinkers how do we enter into that process of beginning to see ourselves in a new way. If we've been told, yeah, you're not very creative. I think if it's something that someone wants to try, I think just being conscious, as I said earlier, was when Bavel was talking about her process as a process. And then I started thinking, oh, but I do that too. And anyone who's ever been in a meeting room with me with a whiteboard will know that I am compelled to jump up and start mapping things out regardless of what we're talking about. So you may notice that is something that you just do, you know, yourself as you're communicating to people. How do you organize things around you, around your workspace or around your home? If you're inspired by visuals or you need things nicely designed around you. But I would say just try it. Try something different just instead of challenge yourself instead of putting six bullet points on a slide is there what is the you know even if you have to close your eyes what is the picture that this is that this information is painting for you and then with the use of simple things you don't have to be a talented graphic designer Things like even PowerPoint now have lots of built-in tools Mm. like icons, chart building, things like that. I think the number of times that people default to putting a table in when they could actually chart it out and it would be more compelling, it's just a very simple step. So think of those sort of simple baby steps that you could start on and see how comfortable you are with it. There's also places to look for training if you really want to delve deeper into it and we can provide you some resources for oh that would be great want. Bavel alluded to this four-step process that we use in our team. So we have a like a handout or a PDF summary of that to share. But looking at 
people like David McCann. He's got a wonderful website. I think, is it Data is Beautiful or something yeah, like that? Yeah, right. Oh, information right. is Beautiful. Information is Beautiful. A guy from Leeds in the UK, Andy Kirk, actually oh, yes. worked yeah. at the Alliance annual meeting a few years ago. Both of those actually, both of those guys actually run workshops, virtual online work, and are, are great training resources. Andy Kirk's website is visualizingdata.com. And looking for those as points of inspiration. So Bavel always recommends the New York Times, the Guardian, spaces that have infographic <laughs> departments now. Uh, yeah, how telling our big news stories. Just thinking, of, think about how election coverage. My lord, we're heading into election season again. So for the next two years, we're going to be bombarded with the map and blue and red states and yeah. how that is changing. And so infographics are everywhere. And yes. I think if you're if you're drawn to them, maybe just being more mindful of it, just having this conversation today might stimulate someone to just pay more attention to what's around them and think about how they could incorporate that into their work. I love that. It's a great challenge. And I love the the kind of mini challenge at the beginning of what you were talking about there in terms of if you've got five bullet points to share, how could you visualize that? What kind of things come to mind? But that kind of makes me think about, and we were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, we're, we're all in different rooms with different colors. There's green and orange and red and blue. Can you talk a little bit about the role of color in in visuals and Karen you mentioned icons are there really distinct icons that 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 need to be part of the kind of design process because in that five bullet point challenge maybe the image I think about isn't going to be the same image that you think about so how do you navigate color and culturally appropriate or culturally sensitive shape and content that's a great question. Color, there are lots of resources available online for giving color palettes that make sense. So colors that work together with each other and are pleasing to the eye and not jarring one against the other. You will find those online and we can also provide some, some resources as well. So those would be good to look at. In terms of icons, one of the things that is a bugbear of mine is the use of icons of different styles across different styles all pulled together on one piece of information. So one might have shadow and then one might be a line drawing icon and the other might be a solid, interesting, detailed one. And really what you're doing there is adding so many different styles together and adding to that cognitive load that Karen mentioned. And now suddenly you're causing your learner to have more to look at and decode and understand why these are all different. Really, they shouldn't be. They should be all universal and same consistent look. That's key. These days, in terms of culturally appropriate icons, I think that's a brilliant point. There's lots of icons that you can use just across the board. Again, you can go online and find those. PowerPoint also has them that you can just add in. And a lot of those types of icons will probably be okay to use because they're across large platforms and hopefully vetted in that sense. We are very mindful on our side to be thoughtful about 
equity and inclusion. So we're always putting different colors in place and that sort of thing. Another thing that we do is not use too much gender where we can. So if it is something that we, if it's an image we can make gender agnostic, that's the route we take as well. So those are some considerations to take into account. And you mentioned, sorry, go ahead. The other thing about color is that one of the lessons I learned from Bavel is sometimes less is more. So you don't all, so think about a bar chart or maybe keeping it within the same color, but using saturation to show a greater reach. So darker colors means more lighter or more faded means less rather than trying to paint with all the colors in your palette, because things can very quickly get out of control. And then you lose that, the concept of a design palette and complementary colors that Bavel alluded to earlier Mm -hmm. on. I've been really impressed by our designers, where sometimes I will look at something and my immediate reaction might be, this feels a little tame. But actually what they're doing is reducing any distractions or the noise that the use of garish or too many colors in the same palette could be. And you very quickly then get to see that it's just making it easier for your brain to consume it. And it's a more kind of comfortable experience. Color in itself, color with a meaning you know, things like red is a strong color, maybe something pastel implies something more lighter. But then the use of colors or not as well, I would say people should think about if it is helping with the message. So again, we kind of keep coming back to or connecting the dots here on things. It's all about clarity of message. And when you talk about saturation, I'm immediately drawn to the idea of nuance, so that when you're just in the same kind of color palette, there's, I don't know, that's the association that I'm immediately making without actually Mm -hmm. looking at an image, just thinking about the kind of concept of saturation. You mentioned a lot of continuing education providers are beginning to think, and of course this has been happening for a while, but really directing their efforts um, increasingly to patient education as part of tethered programs or there, there are different approaches to this, what kind of other trends are you seeing in the use of visual information? I guess both in continuing education, but also in the other areas that you're increasingly working in. Yeah, so I think thinking about all the players in the CME world for a start, when we've talked about learner needs and we've also as faculty as well earlier in the conversation, and I think it's important that the folks, the subject matter experts that we're working with feel energized about the projects they're working on. And definitely doing something more visual is newer for them. And again, we get a lot of feedback that they were excited to present their content in a more engaging way. The other group that I want to make sure we call out are commercial supporters as well. So these are the folks who are advocating for budget for investment in education. And this is a group that are also identifying the need for them to communicate internally in a more impactful way. And visuals and infographics can help them as well. If you can imagine outlining a strategic plan in a in a more compelling way. Thinking of graphics, everybody can immediately see the pyramid when you mention Moore's model. So 
you know, that's a very nice model, the way that's been contextualized visually. But how do you then communicate your educational strategy in a way that high level executives within a pharmaceutical company are going to pay attention to. So using visuals, give it that kind of polish, that C-suite level executive Mm -hmm. is expecting these days. And then just for day-to-day communication, things like visual dashboards to show the breadth and the scope and the impact of the education that you're supporting can be a great tool for supporters as well. So I just wanted to mention that group is also looking at at the business end on how to use visuals graph to communicate internally and providers throw down challenges all the time Pavel yeah there's are constantly asking us for innovation and innovative ideas to put into their grant proposals to win these proposals we have been looking at really cool and interesting ways to provide CME activities. Gamification is one of them. The other thing to do is to think about, they're also looking at ways to extend the CME activity. So providing tools outside of the activity once the activity has taken place. For example, the use of treatment or diagnosis decision aids. Those could be a tool that we'll have created, an interactive tool within an educational piece, but then is pulled out and can be used separate as a tool that the physician can use within the practice with a patient. So that's something new that we're starting to see more of. Patient education, as Karen mentioned earlier, of course, the use of visuals in patient education, we're seeing more and more of that being asked of us from providers. And then, of course, their outcome. Now, if you go down the halls of the Alliance poster room on poster day, it's a lot of infographic posters and We'd like to think that we were at the start of that wave. A hundred percent. Should writers be worried? (laughs) (laughs) No, because as we said, it's that visual thinking. Writers are organizers of content as as much as the science designers that Bavel alluded to. And we can't have a world devoid of text completely. You also asked about other spaces outside of CME. So a lot of your writer colleagues would be familiar with what's happening in the publications world and this need to publish faster and provide more tools around the traditional manuscript. So now there's visual abstracts, there's patient lay summaries, there's which lend themselves to being very visual. There are journals looking for like videos and then posters at medical conferences provide a great opportunity. Bavel alluded to the outcomes data being shared at the Alliance, but think of a medical meeting and all the posters presented there and how easy it is just to walk past them. They're not always the most compelling. And more and more now, digital extenders ex- taking the poster out of the medical meeting and providing that as a tool for other purposes as as well. All very visual, all very graphic in nature and something we're seeing a lot more people talking about in those kinds of forums. It behooves us all to begin to develop, I think, that kind of skill set in visual thinking For continuing education providers in particular who haven't yet used visual communication or infographics in particular, but might be toying with the idea, how do they get started? What would you suggest? 
Yeah, I alluded to it a little bit before, but having the right skill sets in the team is key. And so you might want to start trying a few people out on these things, taking Karen's five bullet challenge and seeing who can do that. Yeah, for example, we were using graphic designers solely for our work initially, and then realized along the way that while that was fine, we really needed those visual thinkers who understood the science, understood it visually, and then applied the visuals to that information. So we started working with these science designers since then. And then we also now use the graphic designers, of course, but with a lot of training and experience. So there's finding the right skill sets in your team. Then also looking at getting training. Karen mentioned Andy Kirk. There's some courses out there. Even Dave McCandless has courses out there. Also lots of other ones as well. And lots of books on principles of visual data visualizations as well. So there's a lot of training out there available. So do get stuck in to look at that. And then look at inspiration. So we mentioned New York Times. I'm always on there. I have a subscription. I love all of their interactive pieces that they do. And I'm always thinking, how could we apply these ideas into the healthcare space? It's inspiration. It's out there for anyone to pick up and use. Why not? In the healthcare space, we don't have those people pushing the edge. Why not get ideas from outside of it? We also have a set of resources, so we'll share those with you. Hopefully they can get you started. That's wonderful. And go ahead, Kim. All right. I was just going to say, if we have time, Alex, a couple of things that just popped into my head earlier when we were talking about, is this a newer thing or sort of the pushback that we could, that we get an example that I love sharing with people is that if you read into Florence Nightingale, so everyone knows Florence Nightingale as the mother of nursing and introducing antiseptic practices into nursing. She's actually credited with one of the key infographics in healthcare. She charted out visually the causes of death by month from the front lines during the war to send this information back to London to request. I did not know that. Courses. Yeah, it's great. I'll send you a link to that story in the show notes. And even in the time of the plague in London, a Dr. John Snow mapped out the cases where they were seeing them. And by looking at clusters was able to identify the source was a, a, a water source that people at the time in London were you know, with open sewers. And this is for cholera. Cholera. And he was able to identify the source just by visually mapping it out. So yeah. when people think this is a newfangled thing or it's trend or it won't last, like it's been around for, it's been a way we've been communicating, communicating for a long time, but mm-hmm. just not leveraging it to best effect. Yes, it's certainly the case. There are a lot of people who would argue that we are visual thinkers, even though it's been something that has been undermined or not really prioritized for some of us in the school system. Is there anything else? Is there anything else that we should be thinking about just to wrap up in order to use visual communication and infographics effectively in education and in other sort of informational spheres? 
I would encourage people to just give it a try, as you say, start with some of those smaller challenges that we talked about before, but then maybe go a step further and share it with your colleagues and ask them for feedback. Did this come across more clearly to you? Did this come across more quickly to you? Because a couple of things, traps that people can fall into, and we see it all the time when we look at other people's work, (laughs) is trying to be too clever. If you're trying to work too hard at it, as Bobble said, if you have to work too hard to decode it on the receiving end, then it's not a good graphic. So really looking at all the details, relativity of shapes and colors and positioning on a slide or on a poster or whatever your real estate is you're dealing with, really thinking it through clearly. It's not just as simple as clicking on a a button to create a data visualization and think your job's done. There's a lot more that goes to it to make it, to do it right. But I would say, don't be afraid. Give it a go. Don't be afraid. I would echo that. that. Don't be afraid. Use inspiration from other sources, even if it is to see the design angle as well. There that can help you. If you. Your question about color, for example, not knowing where to start with a color palette that makes sense. If you've seen something that you like, you can try those colors out. Why not? It, they've done the thinking for you a little bit, but you're applying it to some other idea. So inspiration is all around you and it just makes sense to use it where you can. Do you find that there are particular palettes or shapes or icons that have resonance for health professionals? I do think that scientific looking ones, so the very linear and serious ones do seem to resonate with HCPs. And then the same, the opposite, I should say, is true for patients. I've read into this a little bit more and the type imagery kind of resonates with patients they adhere to it like that fuzzy animals that children might like so the warm and cuddly for patients the sort of more scientific look for hcps is is not a bad way to go babal shah karen roy thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on right medicine i think that listeners are going to get a lot of really deep and jewel-like information from this episode Karen and Bavel walked us through the rationale for taking a visual approach towards communicating clinical information. As Bavel explains, if efficiency is the main advantage, content designed in a visual way takes less time to consume and so reduces the cognitive load on the reader. Additional benefits of visual communication include improved engagement levels through opportunities to interact with data, measurable feedback by tracking activity to inform ongoing education needs, and delivering clear, patient-oriented education for tech-savvy person on the street. Karen observes, visual communications have been around a long time. For example, Lawrence Nightingale, one of my heroes, was credited with one of the key infographics in healthcare. So visual communications are not a passing trend but we're now leveraging them to our advantage in healthcare. Thanks for listening to this episode. And as always, I'd love to hear what you think. Which topics would you like to hear more about and who would you like to hear from? You can email me, write a podcast review on Apple Podcasts and also use SpeakPipe direct from the podcast page on my website. 
And if you haven't yet joined the Right Medicine community, there's a link to join in the show notes. And as a thank you, you'll receive downloadable bonus content from podcast episodes. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Right Medicine.